And today, last week, and the next couple of weeks, we are going to have sessions in here that are devoted to the theme that you see on the screen, Body Life 2020 Vision. We're doing that then in both hours, the uh, worship hour, first hour, and then also teaching principles about those same themes in the second hour. And we will get back to the book of Revelation on uh, February the 2nd and in our first hour. That following week, February 9th, in, in this hour, we will start a new series called Change of Heart. And it's about what the Bible says about how we change, but also how we can help other, other people change. So you'll get both of those principles to help us change, but principles to help others change as well. So we're devoting both hours in January to that theme, Body Life 2020 Vision. And we do that because at the beginning of each year, uh, we think it makes sense for us to give the church family a state of the church. And so the sermons in this series are kind of a state of the church address. Uh, Over the next couple of weeks, I'll actually give some statistics in the first hour about where our church is in terms of attendance and membership and our giving and so on, just so that from year to year we can kind of compare those and know where we are as as a church and uh, what things we need to work on and focus on. Uh, So that's why we're that's why we're doing this as we are in this uh, in this hour. Now, last week uh, I looked at first Timothy, chapter three and verse 15 that says the church is God's household and it's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And I spent the entire time last week showing two things. One, that when 1 Timothy 3.15 refers to the local church as God's family and the pillar and foundation of the truth, it's referring not to the universal church, not to the invisible church, although that is a biblical concept that everyone who is a Christian wherever they're located and whatever denomination they're a part of, if they truly are born again, then they're part of the body of Christ. But it's a a body that's invisible in the sense that we it's never in one place at one time. You never see it together. And thus it's called that the invisible church or the universal church because it's spread all over the globe. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and really throughout your New Testament, The vast majority of times that the Greek word ekklesia that's translated church is used, it's not referring to the universal invisible church. Though that's a valid concept and is referred to in the New Testament a handful of times, uh, upwards of 99 times in your New Testament, it's used to refer to local assemblies, gatherings of people who are part of that body of Christ, universal church in a particular locale, location, and thus we call it the local church. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, the context is undeniably that Paul, who wrote that, is saying that the local church in the city of Ephesus is God's household and the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's true, then, of all biblically constituted local assemblies like this one. And so I gave that and I spent the time to show that in order for us, I hope, to then raise in our thinking the importance and priority of the work of the local church. This is God's family. This is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So that was the first thing I tried to show last week. The second thing that I sought to show was that the Great Commission 
that Jesus gave as his last instructions to his first followers before he ascended back to the Father, that the Great Commission and the local church started at exactly the same time on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, and that they move forward in tandem. The, the mission that Christ gave to his church moves forward as the local church moves forward. And in fact, an indispensable part of that mission is the establishment, the planting of churches in cities and then moving to other cities to do the same kind of thing so that people come to Christ, are gathered in communities of faith where the work can be carried on there and beyond. That's what you see in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And that's what I tried to show last week. So you should have come away from that then with the idea, wow, the local church is really important. It's God's family. It's the pillar and foundation of the truth. The mission Christ gave to his uh, his first followers does not move forward apart from the church. And in fact, they started at the same time. They move forward in the book of Acts in tandem. And that's true today as well. So it has been said that there should never be a missionless church. That every church should be about mission and the Great Commission. So there should never be a missionless church. And secondly, there should never be a churchless mission. Every church should be about the mission and every missionary should be about the church. That's why the missionaries that we support in our church are church planters. Because missions is that. Missions is church planting. The, the mission and the church go forward together. Now, there are missions of all types. There are ministries of all types. I get calls. Some of you have friends that are involved in ministries and missions. And from time to time, they'll want to come and make a presentation to the church and most often we're not able to do that because we have our roster of missionaries and we've got others in the pipeline that you've heard from and that we want to support. These are all church planters in whatever cities and whatever part of the world that they are in or going to. And sometimes these folks who, who want to come, I mean, they're good folks and they're Christian folks and they're much appreciated, but they're not planting churches. They're involved in good Christian ministries, but they're not missions that have the church at the center of them. So they're doing things and they're doing good things, but they're doing para-church things. That's the term that's used, para-church. Para means beside. So it's not the church, it's something beside the church. Now for, my, for myself, as I read the New Testament and I see the centrality of the church in God's work to his mission then we want our resources to go to those who are doing that work, planting churches. And that's what our missionaries are. Now, there are works that are necessary in order to support the work of church planting. So there are ministries and missions that do that. For example, there are places in the world where medical missions is a thing. Because in order for you to go in and establish a church in a place, but if it's, if it's rife with disease, then one of the indispensable supports you can have in that 
in a number of ways, just bringing people to physical health so that they can they can hear the gospel and be converted, and also, frankly, to give some often uh, some genuineness, some uh, uh, credibility to the missionaries because of the love that you're showing to them in doing that. So there are support ministries, but they all have to be tied to supporting church planting, the establishment of of churches. I'm not saying we would never uh, support a support ministry, but we would want to make sure that it is directly tied to planting churches, establishing churches, because that is where the action is from God's standpoint. And so that's true here. And that's why then, in places like this, that are God's household and the pillar and foundation of the truth, and that have been given by God and established by God to, to carry out his, his mission, both in Trenton and beyond. That's why it is so vitally important. That's why it is such and should be such a priority for all of us. So please lose the idea that the reason that I am passionate about this, can you tell? Like in first hour, I'm saying, look. And the reason I'm doing that is the reason I'm so passionate about that is because I am absolutely, absolutely firmly convinced that it is what the New Testament clearly teaches. But lose the idea that the reason I'm passionate about it is something other than that. I'm not passionate about it, hear this, because it's my job. And it's one of the disadvantages that guys like I, like, like me have when we teach the way I am this week and have in the past weeks and in the next few on this subject. One of the disadvantages is it's easy for people to listen and they go, well, that's your gig. I mean, that's what God's called you to do. You're a pastor. Of course you're going to be excited about the church. You know, you've, you've got a heart for that and you would think a pastor would have a heart for the church and all of that. And so that's good. When we hear you get all excited about it, good for you. Because that's your thing. And besides that, you make your living off of this, too. Well, that's true. But forgive the grammar, that ain't the reason. It's not my gig. Hear this, guys and gals. It's our gig. And I've got a role to play in it. And the other pastors have a role to play in it. But it's our thing. That's what I'm trying to communicate. So all of us should get then excited about that. And all of us should say, yes, that's where my mission is. That's where my purpose is. Yes, that's how I'm going to align my life around the mission that God has given and using my gifts and abilities to see that move forward. So these weeks are devoted to trying to help us all do that. Okay, so last week you should have gotten the church is really important. There should never be a missionless church or a churchless church mission. And now today I want to continue that. Colossians chapter 1. And I think we have that on the, for the screen. Do I have Colossians 1? And this is the passage that is the theme verse for our church. When our church started over 18 just over 18 years ago. That's the verse we selected to be our church's theme verse. Uh, you may not notice it because, you know, stuff that's just on the wall and it's there for years just becomes wall decoration and you don't. But right over there on that wall is this verse. 
And the reason it's there is because it is our church's theme verse. Notice what it says. He is the one we proclaim. He being Christ. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So Christ is the one we proclaim. And then there are two additional functions in that proclamation. There are two ways in which that proclamation happens. We proclaim Christ by both admonishing and teaching. Now, when it says admonishing, that's referring to what we do with people who are not Christians, who are unsaved. We're admonishing them. We're bidding them receive Christ. Give the gospel, admonishing people with their need for Christ. So we proclaim him to unbelievers, admonishing. But we also proclaim Christ. Christ is central to the teaching that we do for those that are believers. Those two phrases, admonishing and teaching, encompass every category of person in the world. There's only two. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either a believer or you're not. So we admonish the unbeliever, we teach the believer, and Christ is the one in all of it that we're proclaiming. He's central to each task. And to underscore this idea that these two categories, admonishing and teaching, encompass everybody in the, in the world, these are the only two categories that there are, Paul, who wrote this, says, we proclaim Christ... Admonishing and teaching, notice now, everyone, with all wisdom, so that we may present, notice again, everyone. So it is everyone that we desire to see the word of Christ have impact on. Those who are not yet in Christ and the maturity of those who are. And the end game here is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see the word everyone there twice, teaching everyone, and we want to present everyone. It's actually there three times. In Greek, it actually says this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, and the word everyone is there as well. Admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone. <laughs> all right, do you get the idea? Everyone is like really important. Three times, but what's it? What's it centered on? It's centered on Christ. So I want you to notice that it's centered on Christ. He's the one we proclaim. All of it flows from and is about Him. One. Secondly, it's we. Proclaim. He is the one we proclaim. It's plural. It's a team effort. Paul's writing this. Paul had his chief role to play as the Apostle Paul. But Paul had a team of people with whom he worked. And you read about that team of people in the book of Acts, and then you read about many of their names in the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. His associates like Timothy and, and Silas and Barnabas and others. 
Now you read those names and you say, we proclaim him. He is the one we proclaim. And then I say, well, you know, Paul is the central figure. Certainly he was. He had a leadership, a major leadership role. But then he had these associates like Timothy and Silas and and Barnabas. But those are all still pretty heavy hitters, right? So it leaves the rest of us out. I mean, how am I, how am I a Silas or a Timothy? Okay. If you're, if that still makes you feel like I'm not part of this, consider this. I would encourage you sometime to read the benedictions at the end of Paul's letters to the churches in the New Testament. The benedictions, the endings, where he says, I'm signing off. May the Lord bless you. And he has these final comments to make to the church, the church to whom he's writing. And notice how many times he mentions these just regular Joes and Janes. And there are bunches of them. I mean, Romans 16, it's the last chapter of the book of Romans. And you get to the benediction in Romans 16, and there are multiple verses at the end there with all of these people named. And most of these people, the vast majority of these people, we don't know who they are. They're not Timothy, they're not Silas, they're not Barnabas. We don't know who they are. In a few cases, Paul will say their name and then he'll he'll say what they did, what they've done for their part in the ministry to carry it forward. And he's commending them and he's thanking God for them. But that's, for most of them, that's all we know about them is that they did this particular thing in helping the work of the Lord move forward. But they were just regular folk. That's the point. And the church is made up of just regular folk who band together to carry the Lord's work forward. All of us are to be involved, are to be involved in that. That's why Ephesians, if you care to jot it down, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says this, Christ himself gave pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Please notice, you've got the leaders and you've got God's people. And the leaders have a role to play, of course, But that role incorporates the church. It incorporates God's people. That's why you have Paul then commending all of these unknown folks who are helping him in the ministry because they become convinced that they're an indispensable part of it. And he, the same Paul, is saying in Ephesians chapter 4, indeed, that's the way it's supposed to go in the church. Everybody's got a role to play. Pastors and teachers have their role to play. But what they're doing is, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, are equipping his, God's people, Christ's people, for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Do you remember what our church's theme verse said? We proclaim him teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in him. That's our goal, is to present everyone 
mature in Christ. And now in Ephesians chapter 4, you got the same thing. Pastors and teachers equip God's people for us all to play our role so that the body of Christ is built up until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Everybody's involved in that. That's why this morning's message was titled, on the top of your outline, Church is a Team Sport. And everybody gets involved. God's people get involved. And our end game, all of our end game, is to see people come to Christ and to see people be matured into the image of Christ. You see it over and over in your New Testament. So scripture is quite clear regarding what God wants us to do. Replicate disciples, people who are like Christ. But it's easy to get distracted from the main thing. It's easy for us to get distracted from what the main thing's supposed to be. And we can get distracted in our personal lives because we get involved in all kinds of other stuff. All kinds of lesser things. And we spend our energies and our time and our mental faculties and our resources all on these lesser things. And they can consume us. We're thinking about the stuff that's just most important to us. And you just think about what you think about all the time. You know, you're thinking about your next vacation. You're thinking about, you know... How soon can I move away from Michigan in January and February? You know, and, and you just have, we just have all these ambitions, and I'm not saying any of them are evil or bad. They're distractions. Lesser things. And yet, many of us give ourselves to those lesser things and we become distracted from the main thing. So that's one way we do this. But another way we do it, is within the church itself, we miss the main thing, which is Christ and the gospel and everything that's supposed to then flow from that, presenting everyone fully mature in the image of Christ. We get distracted from that because we use inferior ways to get that done. And I'm going to talk about those inferior ways that we use to get it done. But first, let me just ask you if you have seen what I've seen in your experience with churches over the years. The churches get distracted from the main thing, Christ and the gospel, and there are lots of ways to do that. I'm going to explore some of them, but one of them is that churches become known for some kind of hobby horse, some kind of thing that that church is just really important to that church. So have you ever heard of a King James only church? You know what I mean when I say that? That church, and and the church is known as a King James only church. Meaning that church is about the King James version of the Bible being the only version of the Bible that's really God's word. And so you got churches, we got them all over the country, King James only. So that church becomes known as that, is now, is that Christ and the gospel now? Has that become the main thing? No, the main thing is now we're the King James only church. And the pastor harps on the King James only thing all the time. Or, and sometimes these are the same church, a legalistic kind of church that has a bunch of rules to it. 
And they might be known for their particular subset of rules that everybody's supposed to follow if they're going to be a good Christian. Women can't wear pants. We are, we're not, they are the no-pants-on-women church. And they become known for that. Or, you got churches that are full, all the families are educating their kids exactly the same way. This is the homeschool church. Now, we homeschooled our girls for a number of years. I'm good with homeschooling as long as you do homeschooling well. This is an aside. I said last week a couple times, let me kick this dog as I go by. So I'm going to kick this dog as well. And then it occurred to me later, some of you have dogs. And it occurred to me, there are people who actually like dogs. And so maybe I shouldn't say kick dog. But I'll kick this bucket as I go by. And, uh, but there are, there are people who do this, uh, who do homeschooling and, and really mess it up. And if you're not, if you're not on top of it, and you're not organized, and you're not giving your child what he or she needs in terms of their education, then you shouldn't be doing homeschooling. And I've, I've seen children who've gotten into their high school years and they are nowhere near where they should be in their educational process because their parents messed this up. Now, (laughs) there's a YouTube video that went around years ago about uh, the homeschooling family and how brilliant they are all. It was kind of a spoof. You guys remember that? You know, they're they're all doctors and lawyers and, and all of that stuff. And that's absolutely true. I mean, some of these homeschooling families are amazing. And the kids they put out are amazing. And you can get a ton of stuff done in half the time that it takes a school to do it with 30 kids in a room that you can get done with your, with your child. Homeschooling can be a great thing. It's just got to be done right. When we were homeschooling our girls, we attracted, our church attracted a number of homeschooling families. Word got around that there's this church where the pastor and his wife are homeschool advocates. And we had bunches of homeschool people, a lot more than we have now. We have some now, too, but uh, we had a bunch of them. And those people assumed that we were, like, philosophically committed to homeschooling because homeschooling is the only way to educate your kids. We've never thought that. And then when our girls got into fourth and seventh grade and we sent them to school, some of those folks were uh, amazed. They actually came up to my wife and said, did you pray about this? Did you actually pray about sending your kid to school? (laughs) And she said, "Um, yeah. (laughs) And I had told Kim through all of those years, be careful. Because some of the homeschool people are so philosophically committed to homeschool that it's the only way it can be done in their minds. And they're trying to make you part of that. And the minute they make you part of that, they've made me part of that. And when they've done that, they've made our church part of that. So be careful about it. Churches can be known as the King James Only Church, the No Pants on Women Church, the Homeschool, the Homeschool Church, and on the list goes. The last thing you want your church to be known for is some hyphen. King James Only. No Pants on Women. Homeschool Only. Because the minute that happens, you've gotten your attention off the main thing. 
when, when we die, it would be great if on our, the monument at our grave, people would say of us, they were about Christ and the gospel. And everything else was centered on that and flowed from that. That's what our theme verse is. That's what we're supposed to be about, but we can easily get distracted in our own personal lives. We can get distracted as a church onto whatever hobby horse. A church is similar to a Christian in that every person has an identity. A church has an identity as well. The Christian's identity should be Christ and the gospel. An understanding, a deep appreciation for the fact that we take on his righteousness. And when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we begin to take on his nature, his characteristics. And so we're given a righteousness from outside of ourselves that's not ours. And the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive so that we start. he starts the process in us of becoming like Christ. And the local church is full of Christ-like followers. Which is why a local church's identity should be then Christ. I mean, if that's what we are, that's what our identity should be. And a church without Christ as its identity is going to teach their people to make something else the center of their lives. The hobby horse, the, the, the doctrine, whatever it is. And then that thing pushes all other things, including Christ, to the periphery. So Christ and the gospel are to be the main thing, but two mistakes we make after that. Let's say we all agree with that, and I'm sure you do. Christ and the gospel should be the main thing. We agree with that, but then there are two mistakes we make after that. Making it the main thing does not say it's the only thing, because there are things that flow out of it that are supposed to result from it. Or secondly, we focus on good but inadequate other things within the church. And I want to talk about that for, for a bit. The gospel brings you and me into a transformative experience with Christ. The only way to change, for any of us to change, is by having that dynamic relationship with Jesus. And it's that necessity that makes gospel-centered teaching more important than other kinds of teaching, like principle-driven teaching. Now, follow me. Principles will teach you how to relate to Christ. But principles without Christ will not transform anybody. Best practices that we teach to people may temporarily shape someone's life according to the proportion and degree that the person uses them. They provide light. They might inspire. They can direct. But the principles were never meant to bring sustainable transformation. That only happens because you have an abiding and vital relationship with Christ. And so one of the mistakes that we make is we look to lesser things to be the source from which we are going to grow as Christians. Bible seminars and weekend retreats, for example. Now, we have retreats. We've had couples retreats, we've had family camps, we've had men's retreats, we've had women's retreats, and I'm all in favor of all of them, and I always have a blast when, when I go to them. But I don't mistake them in any way as a replacement for. They're just a supplement to the main thing, which is our relationship with Christ and, and enhancing that 
through as we're going to see the life of the body, life in community together. But many, many people, their spiritual life is sustained from one high spiritual high to another because of the next seminar they're looking forward to going to or the next retreat that they're going to. Programs, initiatives, Bible nuggets, the latest guy you heard on 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 the radio or on the Internet, the latest tweet that you retweeted. They can all be helpful, but if the gospel's not the centerpiece, you're always going to need those religious tokes. <laughs> like a chain smoker needs another cigarette. Without a dynamic, interactive relationship with Jesus, you're only as strong as your latest principal book or conference. The secular world provides principles, books, and conferences. Our main thing is Jesus. And principles and programs, as effective as they may be, are analogous to the parts of a car. The gospel, on the other hand, is the engine that makes it go. And so what I'm talking about here is not either this or that, but about the priority and the preeminence of the gospel and of of Christ. So we take these good but lesser things and they end up becoming a replacement for Christ and the gospel. The seminars, the principles, the books, and all the stuff. Here's another one. A good but inferior thing. It's going to sound weird when I say it. But it's preaching. That, that people think hearing preaching is the thing that's going to change them. And I've never thought that. All my preacher friends tell me that. Not all. But I have never thought that the preaching is the most important thing that happens in the church. And frankly, from my standpoint, that's a good thing, just on a practical level. Because if it's the most important thing that happens, we're all in a world of hurt. Because you're just stuck with me for now. Is it important? Yeah, it's important. Is it the most important? Uh Uh-uh. So what I want to talk about in our remaining time, and then we'll continue next week, is this. that It's not seminars, it's not books, it's not conferences, it's not your next spiritual toke, even if that thing is, is preaching. And the reason I say even the preaching is not the most important thing is because of this. As you read through the New Testament, what you find is that the Apostle Paul would go into a city, book of Acts, preach give the gospel, see people converted, gather them into churches. But then in his letters back to those churches, that's what the bulk of your New Testament is, him writing back to Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and these churches that he was associated with. He's writing back to them. And what he's writing back to them, interestingly, is not centered on how's the preaching going. Now, there is that, and it's really important. And he says to his young protege, Timothy, preach the word in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. So, of course, it's important. But what Paul is writing back in those letters about is, for lack of a better term, a system of Christian growth through which people become fully mature in Christ. 
Book of Colossians, that's chapter 1 in verse 28. Book of Colossians has four chapters in it. And as I think about the four chapters of the book of Colossians, the closest you come to anything said about preaching is this, proclamation. But we are doing this, proclaiming to unbelievers and believers alike so that everyone, Paul does not have in view, in fact, I don't think he ever had in view, precisely what we do in our churches on Sunday morning. Did you know they didn't gather in gatherings like this? I mean, where'd they mostly gather? And so did a dude get up on like a platform? And he didn't. It's, a, it's another form. It's a method that we use. It's a good one. But never mistake that method with the function that the Bible teaches us needs to happen, that Christ needs to be proclaimed. And in the New Testament letters, Paul is giving a system through which that happens into the lives of people. And you know what that system is? It's the interaction, the community of God's people in his church. That's what you find in Paul's letters over and over and over again. That yes, we're about presenting everyone fully mature in Christ, but the system, the process by which that happens, the God-ordained methodology for progressive and consistent growth for the Christian is for them to each be in relationship with one another in the church. And that's in his letters what he keeps writing about. Let me give you an example. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 14, we'll start in verse 12. It says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I'll just stop there, leave that on the screen. So we're asking you, church at Thessalonica, that's where this is from, 1 Thessalonians. And we want you to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord. So this is about the leadership of the church. And he is saying to those that they lead, then acknowledge their work. Appreciate that work. It's an important work. Then he goes on to say, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So now he starts to transition. You've got your leaders And they have their function to play, and it's an important function. Recognize that. Appreciate that. Live in peace with each other. That is, the congregation should be at peace with the leadership. And if you'll do those things, then, Lord willing, you will be. But then it goes on to say this. When it says live in peace with each other, it's not just live in peace with the leadership. The next verse says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters. Now, it's not just living in peace with the leadership and the dynamic in the relationship between those who, who teach and admonish and preach and the congregation. It is that. It's not just that. This living in peace means that you now, the congregation, brothers and sisters, do these things. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, 
be patient with everyone. Now, I just want you to stop and drink in who's doing that. Who's being told to warn, encourage, help, be patient? It's not just the leaders. The leaders are involved in that, right? The leaders were mentioned in the previous verses that we saw. This is now the congregation. The one anothering. The community of faith. This is a major part of the process as to how people are going to grow into maturity in Christ. Because we together do this stuff with each other. We warn, we encourage, we help, we're patient. Now, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about those things, the dynamic that goes on between us. I'll mention the very first one of those, uh, warn, and then we're out of time. But we'll continue in the weeks ahead. Uh, But please just get this as you leave today, just get this. That as you read the New Testament letters, they're not top-down letters. They are not, the leadership is the most important. And the preacher is the most important. And even the preaching is the most important. They're not that. What they are, are these community entities. Churches called together. The family of God. To carry out the work of God. That work of God is ultimately that everyone be fully mature in Christ. And one of the chief ways that happens is the interaction that we have with one another. The ministry that we have to and from one another. And you can't do none of that if you're not committed to each other. It's another reason that membership is absolute commitment to say, I'm here. I'm visible. I'm part of the body. I'm involved in your life. You're involved in my life. I need you. You need me. This is God's means by which we grow into maturity. So the very first one of those is warn the idol. It's talking about warning people who are struggling with sin. And idleness was a particular sin that was going on in Thessalonica. I'll show you that when we talk about it again in two weeks. Next week, in this hour, Pastor Rich is going to talk about one aspect, important aspect, of our commitment together to advance the Lord's work. And Rich is our treasurer, as you know. He's going to be talking about uh, some Issues related to finances. So don't say, oh, I'm, I don't like when somebody talks about money, so I'm not going to come. The Bible talks ab- about that. It is a part of what we do in order to advance the Lord's work together. So Pastor Rich will be doing that next week. In two weeks, I'll pick up what we talked about here. Okay? Let's pray. So, Father, we're thankful to you for today now. And for the blessing of being able to look into your word and see the principles that you've very clearly given us there about the need to be in fellowship and in relationship with one another, in a committed relationship, in the body of Christ expressed in the local church.
So, Lord, thank you for giving us those principles. Help us to obey them. Help us to act upon them. And then, Lord, in this hour, thank you for allowing us to see that the emphasis of your word is not upon superstar people. It's not upon big names. But rather, the work is really carried out in the trenches where God's people are equipped to do works of service so that doing that, all of us playing our role, we are then, ultimately, we grow up into the full measure of Christ. And that all of us have an indispensable role to play in that. May that grip each of us, Lord. And as a result of that, then, may we delight to be involved in each other's lives, to help and to be helped. Go with us this week, we ask you. Help us to serve one another. Help us to serve those you bring into our circle of of influence. May we represent you well. We ask you to grant us safety and to bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.